0: morning. And good morning to those who may be watching uh, online uh, today. I forget about those folks that they're out there watching, but we do have folks that watch us. And if uh, you couldn't be here today or uh, you're on vacation somewhere like the beach and you're watching, uh, welcome uh, this morning to Grace. And I hope that uh, you're prepared to Um, do what we will do for the next hour or so and that is worship the Lord. You know there's a preparation phase I believe before each and every Sunday and um, uh, sometimes it's more on my mind than others. I don't know about how you are but I think that's just being human and and, uh, sometimes we aren't maybe as prepared because we're thinking about what we're going to do after church or we have burdens on our hearts and minds, and we just can't release those. And so I think it's important that we just have a mind of uh, worshiping the Lord. That's kind of our theme for today, at least in the scriptures. And uh, it'll be a, probably two weeks that we'll be talking about this issue of worship. And um, the Lord has really taught me a lot in the last few weeks on that. And I've just been kind of looking back over some things and considering what it means to worship the Lord. And, One of those very important disciplines that is so appropriate for right now is concentrating on Him and not on the person next to you or even me or the ones who will lead us, but it's concentrating on Him. Now, that's harder to do when you get in a bigger setting because there's so many distractions. You think about the number of distractions when you're trying to get from point A to point B in a vehicle. The number of distractions that take place, and you think about the number of distractions that take place on a Sunday morning in a setting like this. And so I want us to just have a moment um, where you can just um, go before the Lord yourself, and you just bow where you are, and I will um, bow where I am. And then uh, at the conclusion of that, I'll pray, and then we'll read some scripture together, all right? So let's bow uh, together. Father, heaven's going to be a great celebration of your son, Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait to begin to celebrate Christ when we see him face to face in all of his glory. Um, We can celebrate the Lord every single day that we have life. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to be with those who are like-minded, in this room who call Jesus Christ their Savior I pray that we would be thankful people that we would be people who um, truly desire to live our lives separated to you Father this morning as we worship we're ascribing value and worth to you and we want to say, right from the beginning, there is no one like you. And so we, um, we take consideration of that. As we read your word, I pray that it would remind us of how awesome of a God that we serve. And I pray that our minds are in the right direction as we approach your word, as we sing songs of praise Uh, May Jesus Christ and him alone uh, be glorified today. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Go to um, Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And we want to begin there this morning. And I would like for you to stand as if you're able. um, If. If it's uncomfortable for you, you can remain seated, but if you can, um, please stand as we read the Word of God. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I call upon the Lord The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What a great reminder. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Amen? Amen. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and what? Be glad in it. O Lord, do say we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And let's all say it together. For his loving kindness is everlasting. And all God's people said...
1: Guys, we get ready to worship the Lord this morning. Uh, if you've been a believer very long, uh, then you know this to be true, that there's nothing better than, than the Lord, right? He's the only one that can fill that hole in our hearts. But if you've been a believer very long, you also know that, um, that we don't always live up to that, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross... He's always waiting when we come back, right? So that's the things we want to sing about this morning. You guys sing with us.
2: I searched the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures of faith Never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. Now, every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing. nothing Nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you see them all and you still call me free. God of the mountain, is the God of the valley, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me. morning to dancing, you give beauty for ashes, you turn shame into glory, you're the only one who cares, you turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies seas into highways, you're the only one who can, you're the only one who can, you're the only one who can, Lord, there's nothing better than you. Better than you, Lord, there's
3: nothing.
2: Nothing is better than you. One more time. Lord, there's nothing. Better than you, you, there's nothing. Better than you, Lord, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you.
1: You guys sing with Kate on this.
3: I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. From the far side of the chasm You held me in Your sight So You made a way Across the great divide Left behind Heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross you paid the debt I owed. Broke my chains, freed my soul, for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. glorious light You took my place laid inside my tomb of sin You were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end
2: spoke his love to us as never was her offered salvation in one final word it was Jesus Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. it was Jesus Holy One Then God stepped into time with Became man, he played redeeming grace. His Calvary's man, he is Jesus. 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 He is Jesus, holy one. The lamb who was broken, his salvation to us spoken. Come to ransom sinners chosen by your grace Now seated with the Father Where you reign on high forever We exalt your name together in this place And now before the throne One speaks for me My intercessor His blood is my plea. He is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. He is Jesus, Holy One. The Lamb who was broken, His salvation to us spoken, come Come to ransom. ransom sinners chosen by your grace. Seated with the Father, where you reign on high forever, we exalt your name together in this place. Thank you for your love, spoken through the Son, dying in my place. You for the hope, you're raising him to life, conquering the grave. One day the trump will sound, calling your home, and coming through the clouds to carry us home, will be Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. is Jesus, Holy One. The Lamb who was broken, His salvation to us spoken, come to ransom sinners chosen by your grace. Now seated with the Father, where you reign on high forever, in this place, Jesus, 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 Jesus is Jesus. Holy, one more time, Jesus, 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 Jesus is Jesus. Holy.
1: Y'all can be seated.
0: Those were good choices. I liked all those songs. So Ron, you and B need to check with me from now on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like those songs. Um, yesterday, I had my day planned out, and got everything I needed to get done, and went to the store and got my eggs and was going to make me some egg salad to eat, got it all done, got the eggs cooked, took the shells off, got all of it crumbled up really small, I'm going to go to the refrigerator to get my Hellman's mayonnaise, and all that was in that lousy refrigerator was Bama mayonnaise. I don't know if it's just I just don't like Bama mayonnaise or I just don't like the title, Bama mayonnaise. But if you add garlic to your egg salad, just a little, you now that's powder stuff you can just pour on there. It's not too bad. It gets rid of that lousy Bama mayonnaise. So. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're a part of our service. And I don't like you know if you like Hellman's or... Bama mayonnaise, but we hope you're here because you love the Lord. And I wanted to just briefly give a couple of uh, announcements that concern us as a congregation. Uh, One has to do with next Sunday. We will have a different kind of Sunday next Sunday. We'll remind you about it during the week, but next Sunday we'll have mission reports. There have been four mission trips to this point. And during the Sunday school hour at 9 o'clock, we'll hear from two of those groups. And then during our worship hour, we'll hear from two more of those groups. It's really a a Sunday to give praise to the Lord about what He's doing um, through our people around the world as they've had opportunity to go around the world and literally um, witness what the Lord is doing in other countries. And we look forward to hearing that report. It's not a Sunday to take off. It's actually a Sunday to be here so that we can rejoice together about God's working and listen to God's people share what God is doing around the world. So I trust you'll come and be a part of that. After uh, the 11 o'clock or 10.30 service, it's already 11 o'clock, the 10.30 service, um, we will have a fellowship, Steak and Shakes. And so there have been many of you sign up, and if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, we encourage you to um, sign up. Uh, The sign-up sheet's out in the foyer, and uh, there should be somebody at the information uh, desk afterwards that can point you in that direction. So we encourage you to sign up and and to be a part of that. I wanted to also make a couple of other announcements that concern us as a congregation. We'll be having a Sun Life uh, conference here uh, in August, and um, it's the 12th of August, And um, Sun Life is a philosophy of ministry. That's what it is. And it's built on these foundations that are listed here that I don't think you can see too well. But um, I will be leading that, and I look forward to doing so. Sun Life is a philosophy of ministry. It transcends just youth ministry. You can use the philosophy of ministry throughout your ministries at the church and in some forms that's taking place already Um, and you don't even know it's under that heading the wonderful thing about Sun Life is it's all based on the scriptures it's based on the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ and I think that you'll really enjoy it Um, you don't have to be involved in a ministry per se to come that that, uh, Saturday but I will uh, have a handout for you coming up in the next week or two, and that way you can have something right in front of you uh, to look at. But we will have a sign-up for that so that we'll know uh, who's going to be here for that day. It's just a one-day thing, and uh, we'll have lunch here and that kind of thing. So um, I encourage you to be a part of that, especially if you are leading a ministry. I highly recommend that you come and be a part of that on Saturday, August the 12th. The kids will already be back in school. And so it's time for us to go to school too, all right? So August the 12th, uh, you write that down. Hopefully you'll be able to be a part of that. And then um, we have a Bible institute that will be starting on August the 22nd. The first class is how to study the Bible. And um, it'll be on Tuesday night. It'll start at 630. We've already had some interest in that uh, within. As I told you last week, um, the primary purpose of this is to introduce people outside of grace to this class. Uh, we want them to have an opportunity to come and to study and to learn how to study the Bible. And so um, we're offering that beginning on Tuesdays August 22nd. And um, if you have further questions about it you can ask me. Uh, after church I'll just mention one thing that was mentioned to me. Um, they asked the question someone did, what's the difference between coming to a Bible Institute and going to a Bible college? Well, here's the reality of it. You're not going to get credit for it here. I'm not handing you a certificate uh, at the end of your venture, but um, you will be, I believe, better equipped to study the Bible. And it might, for some, lead you to think, hey, I want to go even further than this and, and maybe go to grade school of theology or another school. And so it could, it could spur some in that direction. That's honestly what I hope takes place, that there will be a spurring, not only within the community, but here within this this body, uh, to want to learn how to study the Bible better and to take classes, uh, whether it's here or eventually, even if you're interested in, in attending um, a college, that you'd be able to do that. And you say, Thad, how old do I have to be to come to the class? I don't care if you're 16 or if you're 86, you can come, it doesn't matter, okay? The class is designed for you to be further equipped into how to study God's Word, because it's very, very important that you would learn that on your own. I had a gentleman in New York State years ago when we were up in New York State um, asked me on a golf course one time, he said, "That how in the world do you study the Bible? And from that question, we started a Bible Institute up in New York. And we had a lot of people come from the community and from within the church to want to be a part of that. Because sometimes, quite honestly, there are folks who think, well, I just can't ever do that. I have to always be taught. And there's nothing wrong with sitting and learning. But it's nice when you're you're able to approach the Scriptures and be accurate in your approach. And that's very, very important. We'll talk about some of that as we go through um, this class. So hopefully you'll uh, make time to be a part of that. We will not have tests so there won't be tests if you're one of those who are out there like shaking, thinking I'm going to have to take a test. I may give you kind of a, um, just a survey to see how you're doing along the way. But there won't be grades and you won't have to bite your nails at night wondering, you know, I can't do that. No, I don't like taking tests either. I was always better at writing papers. I could bull along with the best of them. When it came to taking tests, I wasn't ever good at multiple choice. I do not like multiple choice questions because I could always get it down to two, but those final two were really good. And there were times when I wanted wanted to write on that paper, both answers are so good. Can't we discount both? But I never did that. Um, But I encourage you to consider uh, being part of Bible Institute, and uh, you never know what direction the Lord may send you just with that particular uh, class. All right? Well, this morning you need to have your Bibles in the book of Exodus in chapter 15. Exodus 15. And we want to approach over the next couple of weeks, not next week obviously, but the week after. We want to approach the subject of worship. It may be one of the most popular subjects and unpopular subjects within Christendom. Where you have people who want to talk about worship and others who feel very uncomfortable talking about worship. You need to know right from the beginning that worship is not confined to a specific building. You do know that. It's not confined to this building. It's not confined to a specific time. You can worship while you're in your cubicle at work. You can worship while you're at your desk at school. You can worship while you're driving your vehicle, which might be a good exercise for all of us since driving is one of the most troubling things that we do. In fact, you can guarantee that your worship may be interrupted when you are driving. Because worship, in my view, is... Focus on God. That's what it is. It's focusing on God and responding to Him. And I think you're going to see that as we work through our text this morning. And I wanted to make this profitable for you beyond just Sunday morning. I wanted you to be able to take this, work with it, you know, ask the Lord to help you in your understanding of what worship biblically really is. Sometimes when people speak of worship, they only think about what we just went through in having uh, worship songs or having a choir. Or they might even think of worship just simply as musical instruments or the person that's leading. Uh, Worship, my friends, is about the Lord. That's what worship is about. It's about the opportunity for you and for me to be focused on the Lord God. And there are so many things aren't there, in worship that we can say about our Lord and our God? So many things. I would encourage you as one of your assignments this week to write down the things that encourage you about the Lord that would help you to focus in on worship of Him. I thought it would be profitable to give you some Hebrew terms that might help you in your understanding of how Israel worshipped and what was on their minds as they approached this subject that we call worship First of all, we run into the first song recorded uh, in the Bible in Exodus chapter 15. And what you're going to find in the book of Exodus chapter 15 is you're going to find many times through this particular chapter where you are going to say, hey, they are worshiping the Lord. and Indeed, that is true. Before we get to those Hebrew words that are going to help us, I wanted to give you this morning some different quotes you have on your handout Uh, three, I believe, that I gave to you on worship. And if you went and looked up quotes on worship, there's a zillion of them, okay? And you're going to have a lot of different people with a lot of different thoughts about what worship is. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorites. He wrote, Any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. How about that? So if you're bored with the thought of worship, You're not ready for heaven because heaven will be about worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, at the very heart of that is Revelation 4 and 5, and that's just kind of a takeoff point where you see in the future that we will be worshiping the Lord Jesus. R.C. Sproul, who is with the Lord now, wrote this, The very heart of worship, as the Bible makes clear, is the business of expressing the depths of our spirits, the highest possible honor We can offer before God. Um, And then I think probably my favorite one. Was by Nancy Lee DeMoss. I thought her quote was fantastic. Like really superb. And this is what she wrote. About worship. Worship is a believer's response to God's revelation of himself. That's good isn't it? That's what worship is. Worship is a believer's response to God's revelation of himself. And so it it begs the question, how has God revealed himself to us? In the Old Testament, we see God. In the New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus Christ revealed, right, in the Gospels and then from the book of Acts on. We come to the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus. So, worship is a believer's response to God's revelation of Himself. It is expressing wonder, awe, and gratitude for the worthiness, the greatness, and the goodness of our Lord. Those are just a few things that she says there. The greatness and goodness of our Lord. Often we use the term, we'll say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Is that right? Great is the Lord, whether you think he's great or not. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And greatly to be praised is the Lord, whether you praise him or not. Because the reality of it is the Lord is worshipped all the time in heaven. He's just not worshipped all the time on earth. I think if we're honest, in our evaluation of this subject of worship, oftentimes in the church, I won't say you as an individual or me as an individual, oftentimes in the church, it's been confined to a specific time on Sunday. you agree with that or not? Now, I'm not saying that's true for every person. But I'm saying that it's true probably for a good number of people. Where they have reserved, I am going to worship the Lord today. Or they might even say something like, I'm going to church today. And worship's not necessarily maybe even a part of that. They're just going, in their thinking, they're just going to church. I've got some really great news for all of us. We can express gratitude and thankfulness. And praise before our God anytime we want. Isn't that good? So when you are driving down that road and somebody's driving you crazy, start confessing, then praise the Lord. That's generally how it works. She goes on to say it is the appropriate response to God's person, His power, His provision, His promises... And his plan. Think about this. We could spend all morning praising God for his plan. Just his plan. We sing about the grace of God and salvation, his plan. We sing about the Lord Jesus Christ, his plan. We sing about the future, his plan. So it's truly wonderful that we can say, we have much to worship the Lord about. Much. Well, we'll have uninterrupted worship one day. Until then, we want to learn a little more about this subject. I've given a definition to it, and it's really one that probably you would hear on every person that might teach this. They would have, at some point, they would say these words. I put to attribute value. That's my, those are my words. Attribute value To a person or an object. We understand attributing value to an object, don't we? Absolutely. How many of you have at home, you have one of those uh, boxes and you put things that are valuable in those boxes? Right? You have those? Right? And you even have a key, that safety deposit box, or whatever it's called, safety box, and and you can can open that and you can close that and you, you have secured it because it's... Really important to you. It's very valuable to you. Um, I have a couple of those boxes. And in those boxes I have various things. And one of those things that I have is a Troy Aikman rookie card. That means nothing to probably anyone in this sanctuary. But it means something to me. Now is it the most valuable thing that I have? No. But it's of value to me. In fact, I'll tell you that it's losing value. As the years go by. Do any of you even know who Troy Aikman was or is? Well, he played for my Dallas Cowboys. And we won, thre- not that I remember too well. But we won three world championships when he was there. And we haven't won one since. And unless we take trade Dak Prescott, we're not going to win another. That's a side note. But in this box, you can take that to the bank. In this box, I have that rookie card. I'll even sell it now if you want to buy it. I might even give it away. But it's been so long. But when I first got that R- Troy Aikman rookie card, man, I put that baby in glass and I put that thing in that box because it was valuable to me. Now for you, I'm sure if we just, you know, spend a week going around and, hey, everybody opened up their box, there'd be all kinds of things within the box that you have. Well, when we think about value... As it relates to worship, we are attributing value to the Lord when we worship. We're saying, Lord, you are valuable in this way, in this way, in this way, in this way. The Lord is worthy, and he alone, as Revelation points out many times, he alone is worthy of our praise and our worship. All right. Well, now we come to these Old Testament words, and I didn't give you all of them, but I gave you some of them because I wanted you to have them. And... um. I wanted you to be able to kind of work your way through. As you can see on the bottom of your handout, there's homework. You see that? Throughout this, I was just led to give you homework. And the way things the way things work today, you can look these words up. I promise you can. If you'll just Google those words, they're going to come up. Not only will they tell you the definition, but it's going to tell you how to pronounce the words. Now, we don't know if they're butchering the pronunciation or not, but nonetheless, they do give you a lot of the sites do give you the definitions. I wanted to give you the definition of these words so that they might help you in understanding kind of how Israel uh, worshiped the Lord. Now, the first word is the word Shaha, right? Shaha. And it, it, it has the idea of bowing down before the Lord. Um, literally bowing down before the Lord. You ever done that? Literally? Bow down. That might be an odd question in the 21st century. You don't have a whole lot of people bowing the knee as much today, I don't think. I think for us this is maybe uh, a little difficult to understand. But did you know in the, uh, Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain, verse 5 says that's what they went to do. They went to bow down before God. And when you think about the context of that, it's even really amazing, is it not? that Abraham, who was taking his son of promise, he was taking him to sacrifice him, that he would even say, we're going up to worship, to bow down before the Lord. But that's exactly what the word is in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. All right, so that's one of the words. Barak is the second one that we have here in um, the list. This Hebrew word refers to kneeling down, okay? So there's a little bit of difference between kneeling and bowing. And so uh, you'll see this word used throughout the Old Testament. I gave you some of the examples there. You can read them this afternoon for yourself. But you'll see that uh, as you go to these particular passages. It might not have kneeling down there, okay? But it's going to have the Hebrew word that refers uh, to that. The third word that I wanted to give you um, that occurs a good bit is yedah. Okay, yedah. This word refers to expressing gratitude or thankfulness to the Lord. This word also, this is interesting, refers to one extending their hands when thanking the Lord. Now, it doesn't appear like if I, when I read the Old Testament that these guys were shy about extending their hands to the Lord. It doesn't appear that way. Now, we know in the New Testament that the issue of lifting hands to the Lord is the issue of what? Holy hands. Okay? That our hands are holy before the Lord. In other words, we've confessed that sin in our lives, and we're coming to the Lord on His terms. Okay? We're lifting our hands, extending our hands to Him. Now, that... That's a subject that makes some people uncomfortable, quite honestly. Because when they come, go to a church or attend a church, this one or another, you'll have people that are raising their hands or extending their hands. And for some people that are watching, it's nerve-wracking. Can we be honest about that? Isn't that true? Am I speaking truth? Yeah. Some people are nervous. They're like, In fact, I believe there are some people who want to go over and say, Hey, put your hand in. That that, that just doesn't belong in a worship service. But that's not true. The issue is you come to the New Testament as holy hands. And all through the Old Testament, Israel extends their hands to the Lord. It's a way, in my thinking, of saying, yeah, you're it. I know up in northwest Arkansas, they extend their hands. Did you know that? There are fans that extend their hands, and they'll say something like, woo pig And do you know I've been a part of that? I've sat in that stadium, and I've seen 70-plus thousand people extend their hands. And I go, I'm extending my hands, and there's nothing like calling the hogs. It's just awesome. All right? You call them, then you smell them. It smells good, too. So you extend your hands. We extend our hands at sporting events. We extend our hands when we're clapping for our kids. We might, it might not be a clap for us. It might be putting our hands up. Nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate. When my kids did something, whether it was soccer or baseball, I extended my hands. Man, I was even like, yeah! Anybody, you ever do that? <laughs> yeah. Well... Seems to me in the Bible, there are many examples of people extending their hands. Now, this is very important to the Lord. You're not extending your hand for man. No. You're extending your hand saying, Lord, you're it. You're it. So, I know that in the South, it's been a hot button for years. And I think instead of avoiding it, I think we ought to deal with it. And I think we shouldn't be necessarily left or right, but we should just say, here's the center, this is what God says. In the New Testament, it's holy hands. It's separated hands that I need to have to the Lord. And you find that many times in the Old Testament with Israel. Okay. Um, By the way, have you ever thought about what heaven's going to be like with that? Yeah. Now, I think it's important for me to say this because I don't want you to go out of here, you know, all wondering. Everything, when it relates to worship, needs to be done decently and in order. Okay? I'm not advocating running around like a bunch of wild people. I'm just saying, if I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning and they're singing, Jesus is Lord... And I'm compelled by the Spirit to put my hands up and say, Yes, you are. Is there something wrong with that? I don't think so. Well, you find it in the Scriptures where people extend their hands to the Lord. That's the word yedah. Okay? And then you have the next word. It's the word halal. Now... This word, we get our word, ah, I'm sorry, this word we get our word hallelujah from, right? We, we, we say that, hallelujah to the Lord. We sing that, hallelujah to the Lord. The word means to celebrate the Lord. It means to celebrate him, to celebrate who he is. In fact, I gave you Psalm 148 through one fifty. In those psalms, it's just nothing but celebrating the Lord. It's celebrating who He is. And you'll find in Psalm 148 through 150 different instruments that are connected to that. Right? My wife played the flute in high school. And and she's really good at that. I don't know how good she is now, but she's really good at that. They're called flautists. Isn't that correct, Tracy? Yes. That's correct. She shook her head yes. So, we have instruments, Right? On this stage, in which we celebrate the Lord, all right? We're going to get to one of those. But you have, in the scriptures, many times people celebrating the Lord and using instruments, right? Not only their voice, but a musical instrument. There are three other words I wanted to give you before we get to Exodus 15, all right? This next word is Shabbat. all right? And the Hebrew word refers to shouting praise to the Lord. Shouting praise. You'll, hear, you'll see a lot of times in the scriptures in the Old Testament where Israel is shouting praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Right? We can do that, right? We can get up and shout, praise the Lord. I'm not telling you you have to. But I'm saying that in the Old Testament it appears appropriate that these guys were shouting praise to the Lord. Listen, if you crossed that Red Sea and got away from those Egyptians, you'd have been shouting praise too, all right? Um, The next word that we find here is zamir, zamir, okay? And this word does refer to stringed instruments, stringed instruments that are used to give praise to the Lord. You know, this last Friday, I was at kids' camp. Do you all know what kids' camp is? knows what Kids Camp is. Right, Mercy? Yes. Kids Camp is incredibly awesome and chaotic and wonderful and chaotic and (laughs) purposeful and chaotic. I was blessed to be there uh, the other night, and um, I got to watch. I'd never knew how talented Harley and Bethy were. But I got to see them sing. I've seen them sing and play, but, but Harley was, and he, he had that guitar, but he also had something else. What was that other instrument he had? Yeah, there you are. I'm looking for you back there. And you should have seen him. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And uh, well, Harley's just playing that, playing his little heart out. And I'm like, Lord, that gives praise to you, right? gives praise to you. So I'm thankful that we have those examples in the Bible and that we're able to do that. On Sunday mornings, we have different people who use different instruments. It's not about the instrument, and it's not about the person. It's about the Lord. But we're thankful for the talent that he has given to some. Alright, so then this last one that I gave you is mahalah. Okay, mahalah. This Hebrew word means to dance. Now, if you were uncomfortable with lifting hands, you're very uncomfortable with dancing. Okay. Um, But we find it in the Old Testament. With Israel dancing before the Lord. In fact, in this second song in Exodus fifteen, that's what my Bible says. Um that in verse twenty of Exodus fifteen, Miriam the prophetess Aaron's sister took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after uh after her with timbrels and with dancing. I'm quite certain you'd have been comfortable with it then because of the context of the passage and the deliverance of the Lord. Now, I'm not advocating that we stand up and dance on a Sunday morning. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the Bible gives illustration to us in the Old Testament of Israel dancing before the Lord. And the last thing that I think that that worship service initially in heaven is going to be before the Lord is boring We will be extending our hands to the Lord, celebrating who he is. Celebrating the salvation of our God. And you never know, these, as we call them, third world countries might have something to teach us as it relates to celebrating the Lord. Because we understand, right? There's different cultures, right? We understand that. That's why you have different churches. Some of why you have different churches along the way. Some people are more comfortable with extending hands than others. We'll just say it like that. And so you have different things that that people have to think through as it relates to worship. And you need to think through it. What the Lord shows you and how the Spirit of God leads you. All right, well, that raises enough questions for you for one Sunday, doesn't it? As we come to Exodus 15, I wanted to use this particular passage um, and focus in on... The worship of the Lord that took place um, after Israel crossed the Red Sea. Okay? And what we have is different stanzas in this particular chapter. I like to say different verses. You know, you'll pick pick up a hymnal and you'll have different verses. Well, there are different stanzas in this particular uh, chapter. We're going to focus in this morning... Uh, on stanza one, and I've given that stanza a title, Celebrating the Lord of Victory. Celebrating the Lord of Victory. Some might be sitting there thinking, well, that who wrote this song? And if you're one of those people who's sitting there thinking, who wrote the song? I kind of believe Moses did. That's my viewpoint. You can have a different viewpoint. It may have been someone within Israel who wrote that. I don't know, but It's interesting, if you just use biblical um, examples, you'll go to Acts, if you went to Acts 7, we won't turn there, but when Stephen is sharing in Acts chapter 7, he refers to Moses as he goes through Israel's history. And one of the most confounding things that he says about Moses, when you think about the whole story, it'll kind of confound you. I mean, Yeah, Moses, he says about Stephen, he says, Stephen was a man of power in words. That Moses, excuse me, was a man of power in words. That's what Stephen said about Moses. Well, when we think about Moses, what do we think about? Well, he had to have a spokesman, right? He wasn't going to be the one doing it. And yet, when you come to Acts 7, the Bible tells us that Stephen refers to Moses as a man of power in his words. And then, do you know who wrote Psalm 90? Moses wrote Psalm 90. Psalm 90 seems to be really good with words as I read it. And so as I come to this particular uh, song here in Exodus 15, I kind of happen to think that Moses could have been the one that actually wrote this particular song. Thomas Constable, in speaking about this particular um, song, said this, This song is a celebration of God's triumph over Egypt at the sea. To this day, the ancient hymn continues to be employed in the synagogue worship of Judaism. So this is a song that has a lot of legs to it. People continue to sing about it. When you think about the scope of what God did in Israel's history, wouldn't you land on the crossing at the Red Sea? Wouldn't you say, whoa? I mean, if you were recalling five of the top moments in Israel's history, you'd have to go back to this one. It set the pace, right? And we look at what takes place here. Israel and Moses are singing to the Lord about his triumph over their enemies. All right, well, I do believe that uh, Exodus 15 kind of gives us a couple of things to think about in relationship to worship. That worship, number one, is responding to the Lord, responding to him. Now, this is kind of a... um, a long point, because it requires some reading. But you need to hang with it, because it's really, really important. That we think of, just like Moses and Israel did, that worship is responding to the Lord. Um, You think about the things that the Lord's done in your life, how have you responded to the Lord? Well, Israel responded to the Lord. In fact, that first verse there, verse 15... You see that very first word? Then. If you're you're going to take how to study the Bible, you're going to look at words. And sometimes there are people even who think, well, you can just concentrate too much. Well, if you don't read then, then the rest of it doesn't make any sense. Because then points you to why they worship the Lord. After something took place. Well, what took place in which the Lord was worthy of? Of worship, as Israel saying. Well, if you go back to chapter 14, I just want to take you through some verses. We're going to skip around a little bit. But go back to chapter 14 of Exodus. You might not have to turn. But then verse 8, look what it says. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. We know the story that Moses went and he got God's children and he's leading them away. The Bible tells us in verse 13 and 14 these words. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Well, why was there fear? There was fear because there was nowhere to go. There's the wilderness and there's the sea. There's nothing else. They were backed up. So what do you do when you're backed up? Well... When you're back to him in life, what do you do? Well, you call out to the one who can help you. Well, notice what it says in verse uh, 14. 13, excuse me. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he, underscore that. This was not about Moses. This is a good time to interject this. This song is not about Moses. Are you listening to me? This song's about the Lord. Moses said to the people, as they have their backs to the sea and the wilderness around them, he says, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. You know what we don't have here? we got some chatter with... Right? We, we, we see a little bit of chatter and complaining before we get to this. But you come here to chapter 14 and verse 13, and what do you see? It's about the Lord. You see what the Lord's going to accomplish. You see that the, the thing that only the Lord could accomplish. You see the fact that the Lord was going to be the one that would fight for these people. Look at verse 14. The Lord, he says, will fight for you while you keep silent. What we don't have is, how many of them weren't keeping silent? What must that have been like for Moses? Right? He doesn't have just ten people with him. Right? The Bible points out that these people were complainers. And they were complainers. And they were complainers. But do you know, in the midst of the complaining, the Lord showed up. And he shows them, hey, this is who I am. Don't forget who I am. So the Bible tells us, back in verse 12, look at this. Back in verse 12, it says, Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt? Here are the complainers, the ones we don't know their names. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Complaining, They're like, hey, Moses, you should have left us there. We were doing fine with the steak and potatoes, all right? You should have just left us where we were. Well, basically the Lord says, hey, keep still and watch me work. That's exactly what happens. He says, verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. I love this little phrase, why you keep silent. I wonder if we could learn from that. The Lord will fight for us. We just need to be silent. Give things to the Lord and let him go. Well, if you go to verse 21, he continues to talk about this uh, uh, issue that was before Moses and the sons of Israel. Look in verse 21. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. What he just told them, the Lord will fight for you, right? The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea, verse 22, on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. What must that have been like? Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses His chariots, his horsemen, went in after them in the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians." And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots, over their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, and not even one of them remained. You know, when the Lord, later on, when he tells Israel to do battle, what did he expect them to do? He expected them to do it totally and completely. That's the way the Lord does battle. Not even one of them remained, it says, verse 28. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egypt, from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses then. Then. After the defeat of the Egyptians, then... Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said. So when we think about worship and the celebration in the scriptures, we need to think through context. And that's what we're having to think through here. Then, when, when God had delivered them. So it's about responding to the Lord, worship is. It's also about focusing on the Lord, and that's what we want to look at for the remainder of our time this morning that worship is focusing on the Lord. In fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you have verses that, that point that out. Psalm 95 says, O come, let us sing for joy to who? The Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm one is another passage of Scripture where you see that emphasis and focus. I will sing of Loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Well, in this song, as we pick it up in verse 1, we're going to get to a point where Moses and the sons of Israel speak and sing about who the Lord is. Notice what it says. Verse 1, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he has hurled into the sea. Look, I want you to underscore those pronouns. He is highly exalted. He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has cast into the sea. And the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Well, he points out for us in this song we're given who the Lord is. All right? And I wanted to just briefly point these out to you. Notice in the song he says, The Lord is lifted high. In fact, both songs in this chapter begin the same way. The Lord is highly exalted. You go down to verse 21. Miriam said to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. That word has the idea of he is lifted high. He's the one that Israel would worship. Jesus Christ is the one that you and I worship. He is lifted high, not man but he is. Now, there's an interesting combination of words in this particular uh, section, and it is strength, song, and salvation. And three times, I thought this was interesting, three times in the Old Testament, Israel's songs are tied to these words. Three times. And so I wanted to find out where those were, and so I'm listed for them for you. Where you have the combination of he's my strength and my song and my salvation. Three times in the Old Testament. One is found here in chapter 15 and verse 2 where Israel is delivered from Egypt. Then you, it should be 118.14. Psalm 118.14. Warren Wearsby comments on this particular usage. He says in Psalm 118.14 theologians agree that this is referring to a time when the Jewish remnant laid the foundation for the second temple, okay? And so in that particular time uh, uh, that he's referring to in, in Psalm 118, 14, he's talking about that time in Israel's history, and you see the words there, strength, song, and salvation, all pointing to the Lord. He's my strength, he's my song, he's my salvation. Now, I found this one to be really interesting, the third usage that you have in the Old Testament around these three words, strength, song, and salvation, is on Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. It's set in the context of the coming millennial kingdom. Are you familiar with that thought process, the coming millennial kingdom? So that if we just do a real brief review, so what we're waiting on is the church, is the rapture of the church. And subsequent to the rapture of the church, you have the tribulation period on earth. And in heaven, you have uh, the judgment seat. And you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And at the end of that tribulation, seven-year tribulation period, you have the Lord and his saints, his holy ones, coming to the earth. Where the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. Listen to me. In the Old Testament, we have here in Isaiah chapter 11 and in Isaiah chapter 12, a picture of redeemed Israel regathering and returning to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is Isaiah continues his thought in chapter 12. You have two songs that redeemed Israel, right? We need to make sure we... Keep the distinction between Israel and the church. That redeemed Israel will sing. And Isaiah chapter 12 verses 1 through 6 record that. And these words appear in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. And what's interesting is what brings about this focus on his strength and song and salvation. Well, I like one author wrote this and... Many authors write that are pre-millennial <laughs> uh, write about this. And one of the authors says, Just as the Lord dried up the sea in Exodus. Now listen to this. And what happened after he dried up the sea? They walked across the sea and they did what? They sang to the Lord. They worshipped to the Lord. There's coming a future time, he writes, when the Euphrates will be dried up. When the final deliverance of his people takes place, and there will be a song about his strength and about his salvation. I thought that was interesting. I thought of all the different occurrences where you find those words, you find it connected to a time in Israel's future when there is discussion about his strength and his song and his salvation. All right, well. So you have in this particular uh, song discussion about his strength, his song, his salvation. You have discussed in this particular song the fact that he is the only one that's worthy of being lifted high. Then you have some things there I've given to you as homework. You you work on it, right? This is a this is a deal where you work and I work. I think it's important for you to work through some of this yourself. And when In the song, you see my testimony, my father's testimony, a warrior, and Yahweh. You look it up. Why are these things there? What's important about the fact that the Lord is a warrior? What's important about the term Yahweh, all right? You look it up. I think it's important for you to. I think it's important for you to be engaged. If if all I'm doing is just giving you everything you need to know, that's not a good thing. You go and you study it this afternoon, and you see what, what happens, all right? So, in this song, we're told that the Lord is, and a few things that are listed here. But we're also told in this particular song, the Lord alone. The Lord alone did some things. Um, You know, what's interesting, if you fast forward the pages to the Millennial Kingdom, when the Lord Jesus comes with His Holy Ones, His saints that have the white robes, He's not going to need our help to do battle. Are you listening to me? He doesn't need us. We get to come with him. Right? Because we belong to him. In the same manner, in Exodus 15, you have the Lord alone who defeated the enemy. I mean, if you just look in verse 1, you see that. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he hurled into the sea. So he alone is worthy of praise. And he alone covered the enemy with his might. Hey, listen to me. Moses was an instrument God used. Moses didn't part that sea. And Moses didn't cover it back up. It was all the Lord. In fact, look what verse 5 says. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he is cast in the sea. And the choices of his officer are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. (laughs) He did all that. He alone did that. He covered the enemy with his might into the depths of the sea. Well, it's a good stopping point there, but I wanted to give you some things to think about today. Some questions that I have for you to think through as it relates to worship. There's three of them. First, what are essential components in worship? Not what do you think they are, but what are they? Does the Bible give us essential components in worship? I think it does to the church. I think if you go through Acts and you begin in the book of Acts and you get to chapter 2, you're going to see that the early church was devoted to certain things. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. All things. Forms of worship that focus on the Lord. So, what are essential components in worship? Number two, what things stand out to you in verse one of this? Or excuse me, yeah, verse one or stanza one of this song. You take the opportunity to um, write that down. Let me know what you find. What are the things that you kind of landed on? Okay. And then thirdly, how does one go? And this is based on Israel's history. How does one go from a position of complaining to one of worship and then only return to complaining? that sound like anybody that we would know? Well, we, Israel was like that and I think at times we might even be like that. And then some take homes, some things for you to think about this afternoon as well. First of all, this, is a, this song is a great reminder that Worship should focus on the Lord. It should focus on Him. So, opening up the Word is worship. As we read the Word of God, it's worship. right? It should focus, worship should, on the Lord. Secondly, um, this song should move us to think about the lyrics of songs today. Guys, that's a subject we could talk about for a long time. But did you know there are some lyrics in hymnals that aren't too good? Do you know that? There are some praise and worship hymn, uh, uh, songs its focus is not too good. When you start singing through a song, what's the focus? Is it on the Lord or is it on us? Is it on the Lord and what God has done for us? Or is it just about us? Um, I read an article this week on worship songs. If I brought you that article and put it in front of you and said, look at some of these things that we might should consider, you might be surprised. A lot of the songs are songs that you and I have sang for a long, long time. Like, how accurate are they? Is biblical accuracy important when it comes to songs? One of my favorite songs at Christmas time is Silent Night. You know what it wasn't? It wasn't a silent night. I think there's things to think through. We don't want to be legalistic in our approach. We want to make sure that when it comes to the things of God, that these things that are written, whether they're hymns of praise or whether they're, they're, they're hymns themselves, that they are focused on the Lord... And that the doctrine about the Lord is correct. Well, the last thing I have there is this song should help us recall God's working in our own lives. For Israel, they were able to immediately recall God's working. What about for you? What about for me? All right, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to um, open your word. To see for just a few moments uh, what took place initially after uh, Israel crossed the Red Sea. Um, They gave you praise, they gave you glory. Um, Before you opened that sea, you were worthy of praise and glory. (laughs) If you had never opened that sea, you were worthy of praise and glory. Um, We come to you, Lord, and we just ask you That your spirit would lead us into correct worship. That we would think about what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. That as we consider worship in the 21st century, which is quite a subject, that we would go back to the basics and consider the theology of songs and how they're written and why they're written. And it may take us back to reading stories about how these songs came to be, but I think that's important because it helps us put it in a context. So we just ask for your Spirit to lead us and for your Spirit to guide us, and we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.
1: Guys, as we uh, close our service, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We had a song planned. We're going to close with something else. I was praying that the Spirit would lead us, and as we were... Sitting there, I was sitting there, I was thinking, I think I'm going to close with this song. We don't have the words for it because uh, we're shifting gears, so. but it's one that many of you have heard many times. It's real simple. It's a verse, a chorus, a second verse, and a chorus. The title is You Are Worthy, and if you don't know it, just listen to the words. If you do know it, feel free to sing along.
2: A sunlit plain that rises Ever reaching towards the sky You have no boundaries And no wind As the eagle soars above Mercy and your love Always hold me on the wings of the wind. You are worthy, Lord, most holy. We lift our praise to you, to you. Sun. Your light consoles me and confirms where I stand. You are. Worthy.
0: Stand and let's close. As we just sang, Lord, um, all the praise belongs to you. And if this time in Exodus helps us to think about just the fact that you alone are worthy of worship, it's worth it. And I pray that we would consider all the things about you that are blessings, because as your word tells us, there are so many blessings that we have just being in Jesus Christ. So I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us as we go through this day, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.